0: And welcome to this uh, live edition, as usual, of Novak Now here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. I am your host, Jake Novak. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jake jakejakeny, the at symbol, N Y, And you can always follow me on Facebook as well. Uh, again, we're live today, just a couple of updates. Uh, we're July 9th, usually a sleepy time of the of the year for news, but we know in advance tonight we're going to make uh, some history. We know that, don't always know that, but we know that tonight because tonight President Trump will make his decision official on who he's going to nominate to fill the Supreme Court vacancy, seat vacated by Justice Anthony Kennedy just a couple of weeks ago, or even less than two weeks ago. And uh, that's going to be a big moment. I'm going to talk about that a lot today and some of the lessons we can learn from that. I want to put it all into an important perspective because it isn't just this year. You're know, you having a lot of people in the pundit world and the news media talking about how this is such an important decision. It's always an important decision, I I, I think. I don't think it's an unimportant decision. But I do think that we as a people tend to overreact a little bit. And by we, I mean the American people tend to overreact a little bit about the makeup of the court and things like that. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, Other things going on today, the stock market having a nice rebound again for the second straight session. We had a big run up on Friday after the better than expected jobs report. And that is continuing right now. Uh, We're up 262 points on the Dow, 263 as I speak, 18 on the S&P, and 32 on the NASDAQ. So the markets right now, a a couple of things are happening. Yes, they're excited about this jobs report being better than expected. Still, you know, not a lot of people were, as usual, were at work on Friday on the markets and investing because it was sort of an extended July 4th weekend. So this is a uh, more rea- more strong reaction, more full reaction to the jobs report. But another thing has happened, which is, you know, the tariffs have started to go into place between the US and China. And uh, the world didn't fall apart, just as many of us had said. Uh, I don't like tariffs. I was really, really hoping that some kind of deal could have been made between the United States and China and some of our other trade partners before they went into effect. But they have gone into effect. The good news is in the modern automated world, they can be removed in a second, whereas in the old world of the 19th century. It took years, I think, for for tariffs really to run through their course, even if you tried to rescind them immediately. So that's the good news. And hopefully that will happen and some kind of deal will be made. But the markets are realizing that the world didn't end with the beginning of this tariff. So they're having what they call a relief rally. That's what the markets do. Their job is to be overreact about everything and then to see the forest or the trees a little bit later. So it's one of those things. You don't want to have a friend who acts like the markets or they would just kind of always be up and down, kind of like a bipolar situation. So you wouldn't want that. Um, but let's get to the news of the night. Again, tonight at 9 p.m., President Trump will officially announce and introduce his nominee for the Supreme Court vacancy. And I am really not feeling confident in making any kind of predictions as to whom he will choose. Uh, When it comes to things that I can predict that have polls to them and other statistics, I feel a little bit better about doing it, but there's no such thing in this situation. I do feel comfortable saying that I have a strong feeling that sometime before 9 p.m. the name will leak out for a number of reasons. One, Uh, just the logistics. The person and his or her family uh, who has been nominated will probably be going to the White House for that event. So someone's going to see him or her. And this has been a pretty leaky White House, so someone's going to say something. So maybe at 7 p.m. we'll start to get an inkling uh, and and a semi-reliable league of some kind. It could be a little bit earlier. So you may not have to wait until 9 p.m. But um, certainly by 9 p.m. we'll know. And then we'll have an interesting announcement from the president. Now, For the Jewish community, (laughs) Supreme Court politics and Supreme Court history is pretty important because when you think about it, the real first prominent place that Jews in America really found a foothold in American government was the United States Supreme Court with Justice Brandeis, later Justice Frankfurter. I mean, there's been a lot of Jewish justices in the Supreme Court, many more than have been in top, top leadership positions in elected positions. Uh, um, some of that is, I just gave away the reason. There, there was a time in this country when a Jewish candidate couldn't win an election, even in New York. Then that changed. Jews could start winning elections in, in Jewish enclaves. And now I don't really think Jewish candidates really have a disadvantage uh, at any level uh, of an election. So if they're not winning, it's their own darn fault. It's got nothing to do with their religion. But there was a time like that, and certainly it was only relatively recently in American history that that was overcome. So for the outstanding Jews in the Jewish community throughout the country, Appointed positions was the way to go, and, and you don't get much higher in the appointed position uh, category than the Supreme Court. Uh, there's cabinet stuff as well, and then you had people in, in Franklin Roosevelt's cabinet, you had people in other presidents' cabinets where Jews got, got on the cabinet, but the Supreme Court being a life position, I'd argue, is probably the top appointed position. And of course, now we have a situation where we already have three Jewish or at least Jewish-born justices on the Supreme Court. You have Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you have Elena Kagan, and you have Stephen Breyer. Um, you know, just one caveat. Stephen Breyer certainly born as a Jew, two Jewish parents, but Stephen Breyer does not really identify himself as a Jew. Uh, he doesn't identify himself as anything else, and I don't think he's an anti—you know what you would call you know, anti-Semite or anything else like that. He's just very, va- very, very, very secular and does not consider himself to be really a part of the community. But he's not hostile to the community, and of course, by Jewish standards, he's a Jew, what, no matter what he thinks. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Elena, Elena Kagan are much more. Uh, close to the Jewish community in one way or the other. None, none of these three are what we would consider to be observant Jews. They don't keep the Sabbath or keep kosher or anything else like that, but they are uh, very culturally connected to the Jewish people, proud of it. So you have three justices, which is pretty amazing. I mean, you have an, literally a third of the Supreme Court, which is already Jewish. On President Trump's shortlist, and by shortlist, I mean the 25 names that he released around the time that he was finishing up his campaign for president, there are some Jewish names, but there are no Jews in this presumed final round of two to four people in this choice right now. But religion does play a role in it. Uh, we do have one of the front runners and maybe one of the people who, if I had to admit, I, I'm kind of pulling for, I, I really can't pretend to have any major rooting interest in anyone, but I, but I have some interest in it, to say, for lack of a better word, for uh, judge, a- Amy Coney Barrett. One of the things that interests me about her is first of all, she has a, uh, little bit of a midwestern background she went to notre dame for law school um and she's on a a circuit court uh, right now as a federal judge and she um has been attacked for being devoutly catholic which is really really interesting and very very disturbing and i've talked about this for the last several days uh, on some of my other platforms and again if you follow me on twitter at jake jake ny you'll see some links to some of the things i've written about it um this happened, started last year when she was actually up for this you know, current appeals court uh, judge, judgeship that she has. And she was asked by Judge Dianne Feinstein, again, one of the Jews in the Senate, about her devout Catholicism and really, really grilled over it in an inappropriate way. And um, as I've written, it was a kind of a combination of ignorance and a HaShem that Diane Feinstein was the one that they set up to ask this question. You know, make no mistake, when senators grill somebody in a hearing from one party, they, either, they usually go with one, one of two strategies. The first strategy is to find a weakness that they think they found in the opposing party's nominee and just hammer him or her with that question in many different styles, but over and over again. Or they choose different sti- uh, for st- styles of attack and different senators with a particular background who they think might be best to ask that question are tasked to ask that question. So naturally, they choose the Jew. They choose Diane Feinstein, a Jewish woman, to dredge up... Uh, what I would almost call century-old fears of Christians and Catholics in this country um, and try to see if they can frighten the Jewish people into maybe calling their congressman or senator and saying, don't vote for this judge. Uh, I call that ignorant because as almost any devout Jew who is not living under a rock will tell you, our problems are not coming from the Catholic or Christian community for the most part anymore. They are coming from radical, in this country, mostly from radical secularists, a small amount from radical Islam, but that is not unique to this country. Radical Islamic terror, of course, which targets Jews and targets other non-Muslims, is really not something specific to Jews. In Israel it is, but that has nothing to do with our situation here, um, in that uh, they'll, they'll attack any non-friendly to you know, Islam in their minds uh, target. So going after Christians and Catholics, and we do have our differences with the Christian community and the Catholic community, but they are minuscule compared to where they were Uh, decades and generations ago, and everybody knows it. So it was kind of a a joke. But I think that there are probably some secular Jews on the Upper West Side and in certain parts of the country who still think that evangelicals and Catholics are are the real big problem, which is a joke. But, you know, ignorance is certainly not in short supply in that part of the the world right now. Uh, And by that part of the world, I mean the Upper West Side. Uh, Anyway, so that was one thing that really disturbed me. And you know, you also had pundits on television news this last week talking about Amy Coney Barrett and how alarming it is that she went to Notre Dame, Notre Dame University. And they, they talked about Notre Dame as if it were an Al-Qaeda-sponsored madrasa in Peshawar. Notre Dame is a mainstream university with a big football team and a lot of non-Catholics go there. And actually, if you ask any really devout Catholic, they'll tell you that Notre Dame is a very liberal Catholic institution that's become hostile to... Pro-life Catholics and and the like. So, honestly, it's kind of it's kind of a ridiculous thing. It's a real ugly, ugly, ugly kind of fear mongering based on a person's religion, which is not American. And if you think that the next kippah wearing judge who or, or or Orthodox Jewish woman judge who's up for a, 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 a nomination is going to be given a pass on that, think again. Because now the secular community in America is really coming aggressively against religion. And there's another reason why that's an ignorant thing to do. You know, when we talk in America about separation of church and state and our founding fathers' belief in that in the Constitution, there's a real misconception about the impetus behind that. Now, yes, there was some worry that the government of the United States would one day be taken over by religious zealots. They didn't want Christians to make Christianity the official religion of the American government, and that's true. But that's only half the story. The other half of the story and this is so interesting because this part of the reason for the separation of, the church, of church and state and the Establishment Clause was initiated by non-religious people. But non-religious people like Thomas Jefferson understood very well that the government would also very likely come after religion. In other words, instead of worrying about religion taking over the government, they were worried about the government coming after religion, either choosing some religions to be persecuted or choosing some religions to work in hand with whatever political goals they wanted to work with. And he and Jefferson and others were worried about that. And they had darn good reason to. The kings of England had constantly singled out certain sects of Christianity to persecute. And there's a big reason why the United States exists, because you had pilgrims and other Christian groups that were being persecuted in Great Britain, and they came to the United States to free themselves of that government persecution of their religion. So make no mistake, when we talk about the separation of church and state, we're talking about protecting both. Both. And that's a big reason why the Jewish community in this country has flourished so much. So... That's the you know, one of the religious things that I'm thinking about um, in tonight's nomination as we await that tonight. Um, yeah, it's, it's my big topic today on Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. Um, of course, Jewish issues in the nomina- nominations for the Supreme Court have been a little bit more prominent in the last few years than usual, not only because we have th- already three justices on the court who are Jewish, but you know, President Obama's last nominee that was spiked by the Senate majority at the time, Mitch McConnell, still, still the majority, but not as much, uh, was Mar- Merrick Garland, who, unlike Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Elena Kagan, and, and Stephen, certainly Stephen Breyer, Merrick Garland is a pretty, I, I mean, I, he's about as traditional a Jew as has ever been nominated for the Supreme Court. I mean, there's been a lot of Jews who've served and been nominated for the Supreme Court. But Merrick Garland is, you know, kind of a practicing Jew, I would not say he's not Orthodox. But uh, as far as someone who like is a active member of the community, he, he, he's there. I mean, he's pretty much there. So that took on a whole life of its own. Beyond the Republican-Democrat debate, there were a lot of moderate Jewish groups uh, and Jewish people who were kind of upset that his nomination was spiked. But, you know, that's politics. That's why we don't want religion and politics to be so intertwined, because politics is war, and politics is unfair, and politics is about smearing, and politics is about fear, and you don't want your religion intertwined with that as much as possible. So, uh, again, Merrick Garland certainly had a rough time of it, um, I would argue that in my lifetime, he did not have the worst time of it, the worst time of it of any judge nominee, also a Jew, a man named Douglas Ginsburg, whom Ronald Reagan nominated after Robert Bork's nomination fell by the wayside, and, and that failed. And poor Douglas Ginsburg, you know why he was forced to withdraw? It was because they found out that sometime in the early 70s, when he was professor at Harvard University, he smoked marijuana. <laughs> and, and so they decided to kill his nomination. Now, granted, this was 1987. I understand it wasn't today. But still, for for that to be the reason that a a, a prominent legal scholar didn't even get a hearing, is 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 pretty. I think a worse and um, and more unfair fate than what Merrick Garland went through. So, if you're in the mood for feeling bad for Jewish nominees to the Supreme Court who never made it, pour one out for Douglas Ginsburg because he got screwed more than Merrick Garland did, in my opinion. But that's neither here nor there, uh, because what we want to talk about, what I want to talk about, really to focus. Us tonight is to, as much as I'm excited about it, and you know I'm a newsman. You know, Jake Novak, I've I've been in the I've been in the news business for 25 years, and one of the biggest things we learn in news is don't tell people that nothing is exciting going on. You know, for years I've produced um, live business news programming. So what you usually do in business news programming is a couple times an hour you go to your reporter on the stock market floor or at the Nasdaq market site, and I can tell you. Almost every week, at least one of the reporters takes that toss from the anchors when they say, "Hey, what's going on at the, you know, at the New York Stock Exchange?" And they'll say, "Not a busy day here." The first—I mean, literally—the first things out of their mouth is, eh, "It's boring." <laughs> Can you imagine if your job is to get people excited, and and the first thing you say is it's boring? Now imagine if that were what a movie trailer. You know, you see those movie trailers where they have the big explosions and that man's voice, and it usually starts with "In a world where everything is blowing up." You know, that's how those movie trailers start. Imagine if the movie trailer started with. This movie is okay. <laughs> I mean, that's really what these people are doing. So I am not going to pretend to be one of those guys who says, oh, no, don't get too excited. Don't get too excited. You know, you hear, I hear this all the time. People complain, you know, when you have a snowstorm in February and the news stations are getting very, very excited about it. And people say, it's February. Of course, it's snowing. What's wrong with you? It's like, okay, but you understand they're trying to make a buck here. We're trying to get you to watch. And as long as we don't lie and say things like you will die in the storm and this is the end of your life, I don't think it's such a terrible thing to make a big deal out of it, play some music, have some fun with it. Again, don't make up facts, just make it clear that a storm's coming and you're trying to be dramatic. Okay. So I am not trying to be the uh, the, the, the wet blanket here on this. It's still a very important news story and certainly the most important story of the day that we can caps, encapsulate and just for today. I mean, obviously there are more important things going on in the world, but This is a 24-hour period here where we're going to get this one big announcement, so of course it's important. But, 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 let's not go overboard about how important the courts are. Let's not go overboard about how important government is. You know, in a free society, which America still is for the most part, the people are always much more important than the government. The the great innovations of America, the great progress we make in this country is always leaps and bounds time-wise ahead of the courts, ahead of the politicians. And that goes for whether you're a right-winger or a left-winger. If you're a left-winger, for example, and you supported gay marriage, you supported gay marriage, and I think a lot of moderates in this country supported gay marriage at least a decade before the court decided that it was legal. And the day that it was decided legal and a lot of uh, homosexual and lesbian groups were celebrating, I said to them, don't celebrate. You made this decision, not them. Okay? Now, our religion can decide whether or not to consecre- consecrate your marriage. That's up to the religious group. But if you want to have this kind of partnership, no court can tell you otherwise. That's natural law. And, you know, they didn't understand me because they are most of them weren't religious and they have no understanding of anything of any higher power than the government, which is I feel truly sorry for those kinds of people. There's a much higher power than the government, even if you're not religious, there's a higher power than the government. But I would hope that you would realize that God and other things are are more important. But the courts don't decide what what's right and wrong. The courts can only figure out what's right and wrong after the public has sort of figured it out as well. And sometimes when I say figuring out, it's usually a rediscovery. I don't know if you really if we really discover it it's just we just we may have forgotten it, and then we, we start to do it again. So that's really important to remember. we don't We don't come to a conclusion in this country where we decide, oh, well, the court decided this was right, or this conservative court made a decision that we all have to follow that nobody likes. You know, one of the biggest problems we're having in America right now, and I talk about this a lot here on NovaG now on the Nachum Siegel network. I talk about this a lot about how people just don't even seem to fathom that there's an opposing opinion out there. You know, there's an old joke in 1972, Richard Nixon, he was never personally popular, but in 1972, he was reelected and he got over 500 electoral votes. I mean, it was a landslide. And one of the reporters at the New York Times came into work the next morning with a strange look on her face and she said, I can't believe Nixon won. I don't know anyone who voted for him. You know, when you put yourself in that kind of ideological bubble, you're not. You're going to miss the forest for the trees. And it wasn't like she missed what half the country was saying. She missed what over 60% of the country, 70% of the country was feeling in the case of the Nixon re-election. And obviously, we we've gone through the same thing with this Donald Trump election in 2016. So many people who didn't vote for him didn't know anyone who did vote for him, or at least didn't think they knew anyone who voted for him. And that is a huge problem. We get to this position where we think we, there's no other opposing opinion. So when a court comes out with a decision that a lot of people think is wrong or they think is against the the will of most of the people, check again. And don't just check the polls, because polls can be wrong. And I don't mean wrong just because they get an election wrong sometimes. I mean, take a look at the way polls are worded. You know, a lot of issues in this country, people think a majority supports or opposes based on faulty polling, faulty polling in the way the question is asked. We're seeing that now with illegal immigration. You know, that when you see polls on illegal immigration, they never ask a simple question. They never ask, would you like to see an end to illegal immigration in this country? Would you like to see border security improve so that we have a much smaller amount of illegal immigration in this country? You know, no pollster really asks those two major questions. And because of that, because they ask these nuanced, phony, push-poll-type questions that confuse the you know the the the, the, sur- the person being surveyed that confuse the issues. We have we have people in this country who think yeah you know most of the country is in favor of illegal illegal immigration. There's people actually walking around believing that based on some faulty polls. So I want you to be very careful about that. When you see the court making a decision, you think oh my god, no one could possibly want this. You know, make sure you know what you're talking about. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. And again, my premise is that the people make decisions, not the courts. The courts only affirm or f- some, at some point figure it out. And when they figure it out, it's good. And hopefully, they figure, out, figure it out sooner or later. And I want to tell you about how I learned this lesson. And I didn't learn this lesson from reading it in a book. And I didn't learn this lesson from political speeches. I learned this lesson firsthand. And it's something that really, really stuck with me and sticks with me now every, really every day of my life tell you a little bit about my personal history i i was born in oklahoma city uh lived briefly in baltimore and then in norfolk virginia I lived, so i lived most of my real childhood childhood in the south now by the time i started junior high we had moved to new york but if you know anything about human development those first 11 12 years of your life are like worth 50 years because that's when you're programmed as a human so you know in a lot of ways i'm still kind of thinking that like that kind of a person someone who has grown up in the south although i'm still very much a new yorker i'm kind of like a mix of a lot of things Um, A lot of my friends think that's why I was able to call the presidential election correctly, because I actually lived in these places that went for Trump, and I also just don't live in that kind of a bubble. But maybe I was just lucky, but well, maybe that's true. But let me tell you about when I moved to New York. I moved to New York from Norfolk, Virginia in August 1981. And I didn't just move to New York. I moved to Far Rockaway, Queens. And if any of you know about Far Rockaway, Queens, especially in 1981... They'll tell you, it wasn't easy. Now, the people who lived there, and I lived in the Bayswater section of Far Rockaway, the people who lived there were some of the most amazing people I've ever known in my life. They were amazing people. It was mostly an elderly community. um, But there were some young people there too. But it was just, they were good, good people. Um, From the Jewish level, they were really good Jews, which was a real, real relief for me, having grown up in Southern Jewish communities. And Southern Jewish communities were basically this strange anachronism. They had wanted to assimilate, but they were in the South, so it was harder for Jews to assimilate as compared to Jews in the North or in the Midwest, so they were sort of stuck. Now, in the 37 years since I left the South, that assimilation has gone on full tilt, and there's been a big disappearance of a lot of Jewish communities and synagogues in the South. Hey, it's happening on Long Island, too, so let's not be so smug, but the fact is is that that assimilation that they always hoped for has kind of happened. So it was happy. To, I was so happy to be in a place where there were Jews who were proud of being Jews. But just one month, just one month before we moved to Far Rockaway, Queens, that community was rocked by a very, very intense, very, very intense crime, terrible, terrible crime. And crime was a problem. And crime had been something that had been eating away at Far Rockaway since the late '60s, really the mid '60s, just like the rest of the Five boroughs of New York City. And it had changed what had been a really picturesque wonderful Jewish community into something of a siege mentality. You didn't go out at night. People stopped going to downtown Far Rockaway and started to shop in the five towns. Uh, The big Jewish pizza place, which was called Sabra. Some of you may not know it actually started in Far Rockaway. Can you believe it? It's it's got a different name now, but it's still on Central Avenue and they still have that same pizza. But all of that changed and it became a a rougher area. But a month before we moved there, just a month or six weeks really, talk about timing, a 24-year-old Jewish... Man from one of the modern Orthodox families in the community was murdered. And I don't want to use his name in this story be- for a couple of reasons. One is uh, I'm just not so sure if his family would agree with a lot of the conclusions I make. I have no be- reason to believe they don't, but I don't like to speak for anybody and their family. So I don't want people to think that I'm speaking on behalf of, of this particular family. I also don't want people to think that I'm taking advantage of a story. Uh, that they can look up on the Internet and, and see that well, I've taken advantage of the story and I'm, I'm moving along with it. So I, I do believe in remembering the names of the victims and all that kind of thing. I just don't want people to think I'm taking advantage here of something or that I'm speaking for a family that may not agree with something I'm saying. It's just, I think that most journalists actually would follow the same credo if they knew personally the family, because I came to know this victim's family and his siblings over the years that we lived there um, just because we were going to school together and they were just wonderful people. But I just don't want to speak for them. So that's why I'm not giving the name. But those of you who, there might be a lot of people listening right now who know the story quite well. Anyway, he was killed after he went to the bank to get some money orders to pay for school tuition, stabbed through the heart by three young men. Um, they pretty quickly arrested them. And that was the state of things when we got to a Far Rockaway. Uh, oh, I should say about a week before we got to Far Rockaway, or I guess, you know, five weeks because he'd been, he, he had his funeral. After his funeral, the community marched to the pre- precinct house, I think it was the 101st precinct, police precinct, in Far Rockaway, demanding better protection for the Jewish community, and only to be jeered by people from the downtown area who, who yelled anti-Semitic things at them. I mean, this was the community I grew up, I, I moved to, I come from the south where I was dry, riding my bike miles away from my house, unsupervised, could be out at all hours, even as an 11-year-old. All those things were fine, and all, now I'm going into a situation where crime is heavy, 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 and it's really on everyone's mind. And... For my generation, I'm 47 years old. I think that if you're between the ages of maybe 55 and 40 and you're from the New York area or used to be from the New York area, you know what I'm talking about, how crime really dominated the lives, our lives, how we thought of things, where we went, how we thought of things, and how that seems to have disappeared in such a great way. Crime is so incredibly down. And I know that, I know that Far Rockaway still has its problems. Far Rockaway and downtown Far Rockaway are still kind of a mess, but it's nothing like it used to be. And certainly more parts of the city are safer than ever before. So how, how does this have to do with anything I'm talking about, judges? Because a year—I'll tell you why. Because a year later, the trial of those three guys started, and the jury that was seated was almost completely African American. And the three men accused of killing this young man were African American. And I remember my father getting a call from the district attorney saying, "Can you please bring people from the community to sit in the courtroom every day, just so the community is represented, and that maybe this jury will think twice." The implication being. Boy, the, these, this minority jury may, may, may not give these guys a conviction. So I went with my dad a couple of times. Well, make a long story, st- story short. The trial ends. The jury goes out. They're not out for more than an hour. They come back, and not only do they convict, they come back, but they, the, 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 uh, the defendants end, end up getting 25 years to life at the time as the maximum maximum sentence. And I said to my father, I was all of 11 years old, I said to my father, 11 and a half, I said, you know what? You know what, Dad? Something's changing in this city, that people have had it. The, the lenience and the understanding and all that stuff has gone out the window. People have decided they want to be safe, and they don't care about hurting anybody's feelings or appearing in a certain way. And I want to give credit to Mayor Giuliani, and I want to give credit to Ben Bratton, the police commissioner for many years, and I want to give credit to even people like Ed Koch, people who helped change some of the attitudes about fighting crime in the city. And I really think that Rudy Giuliani's decision to stop ignoring quality of life issues and and arresting people for for small things as well really was the final nail in the coffin for the crime epidemic. But make no mistake, it was the people of New York City who decide, of all races, (laughs) that's a really big important part, right? Who decided they had had enough and they weren't gonna let a judge or a court or a politician get in their way any longer. So when we think about today's nomination, tonight's nomination, and all the important decisions the high court can make, remember, the decision is still with the people. This is 2018. It's not 1775. And no matter how big the government has become, it's the people who make these decisions. So don't overreact to the decision tonight. Get excited, but don't overreact. I hope you'll join me next week for the next edition of Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. I'll speak to you again soon.